Beloved Orangewood, as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, as we continue our sermon series through this amazing historical book of the New Testament that we're calling Encounters, uh, Encounters with the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the resurrected God who gives us hope and joy and life and meaning, coming in contact with Jesus. Wow, it certainly changes everything. We're going to see that again today. It was 50 years ago, as a matter of fact, 50 years ago on February 7th, 1964, and by the way, I was not alive at that time, the Fab Four, Paul, Ringo, John, and George, otherwise known as, that landed in the USA at JFK Airport, and because of that encounter, Our country was never the same. Well, you got to admit, at least the music in our country was never the same. Well, 2,000 years before that, there was another encounter by a Fab Four, a greater Fab Four. It was Paul, another Paul, but Silas, Timothy, and, and Luke writing this story. They've arrived in Europe with the gospel of Jesus Christ and and the first time on the soil of Europe and truly with the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And this encounter did change the world forever. Last week was the first arrival in, in Europe and we saw them arrive in Philippi. And we saw the gospel is for everybody. It's for those who are men and the women. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles, for the Greek. It's for those who are, who are slaves, for those who are free, for those who have been possessed. The gospel is the hope of God for every single one of us. And we, we realize that, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, according to God's word, you can't say, well, you know what? It's not for me. It is for you. And this morning, we're going to see that the gospel is the good news that works in every place. We're going to leave Philippi and get to Thessalonica and Berea and see what the good news of Christ Jesus has done in those cities. So let's look to God's word in Acts chapter 17. If you remember at the close of last week in chapter 16, uh, there was persecution because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul and his traveling companions were driven out of that area. Um, and now the gospel, because of that persecution, spreads. Let me also remind you that a guy named Luke wrote this a really long time ago. And he was describing events that could feel like they're so far away and so, so distant from your life. But because of the grace of God, Luke, Luke wrote his words uh, with his personality, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. That these are actually God's words. And so what that means for you and me is, this story's for you, wherever you are and wherever you've been. And it's not a story just to entertain you. Because this is God's word, this is a story that should transform us because it contains the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's hear God's word. Now then, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there there was a synagogue of the Jews, And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, 
and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. And now some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let us pray. Oh, my heavenly Father, I stand before your people wanting to describe the beauty of your Son. And oh, how I need your help. I thank you that you have sent the Spirit of your Son into my heart and into this room. And Holy Spirit, your, your job, according to Scripture, is to reveal to us who Jesus is and what he has done. And so, God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you, would you come and would you speak through a broken sinner like me? Would you come and would you again make beautiful through the preaching of the, your word, your son, Jesus? And God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us the ears to hear your voice this morning. The Father, that you would be with us and that your spirit would give each one of us the minds to understand your truth that you would graciously open up each one of our hearts to embrace your love and the work of your Son. And that God, because of who you are and because of what your Son has done for sinners like us, that you would empower us with the gospel of Jesus Christ to walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name. Father, the things that I say that are wrong are that are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior? 
And it's in His holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me in this sermon. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is both biblical and rational. How many of you have ever created a family tree? Have you ever spent the time and done some research and found out some family members, uh, maybe those who passed through Ellis Island, uh, those who got your family name here? Have you, have you done that research to see the good and the bad of, of your family? Well, it's really, it's an important exercise because it reminds us that, that our life is so much bigger than ourselves, that we have roots that go so much deeper than our very own lives. And, and when you do those kind of things, it's wonderful, wonderful to see how God works and how God brings together the pieces of the story. It's, it's incredible. I don't know, maybe I'm just more nostalgic than the average bear, but I love kind of going back and, and connecting the dots and saying things like, you know, if God didn't move and close that door and, and I didn't go to this location and Katie didn't go to that location, children, you guys would never be here. And you think that for not just our marriages, but our parents and their parents and how God worked and to realize, you know, there's a story behind our stories. We're part of a bigger story. We see the gospel story has much deeper roots than just the New Testament. The story of Jesus goes well beyond Bethlehem and his birth and, and that death on the cross and the resurrection. The story of Jesus, well, it's the entire Bible story. This is the story of how God loves. This is the story of how God rescues. This is the story for you. It's the story of me. It's the gospel story of the entire Bible. Paul would go into the synagogues, and it's just fabulous how he would work. He would go into the synagogues with the gospel, and he basically is going into the synagogues. Now, they already had the Old Testament. They had the law and the prophets, and he walks in, and he says, gentlemen, Ladies, I have the answer key. I have the answer key with me. All the things that the prophets talked about, all the things that the law pointed to, the answer of all those things is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He took what they already knew as God's word, what they already believed, and he proved that Jesus was the gospel story, that he is the hope of all of scripture, that he is the story of the Bible. He opened up God's word and he said, let me tell you how much God loves you. Let me tell you how God has rescued you. Let me tell you how God has dealt with our sin problem. Let me tell you how God has dealt with death by preaching Jesus. It's interesting that he, uh, as he preached Jesus, he really stands in line with Jesus himself. This is the way that Jesus would explain the Bible. There's this story in Luke, Luke chapter 24. It's known as the story of the road to Emmaus. It's an incredible story where the resurrected Jesus shows up and starts walking with true travelers. These travelers were in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. And they were two men. They were religious men who had actually thought that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought that Jesus was the Christ. But they witnessed his death and, and they saw him nailed to the cross and and their hopes were gone because what Messiah gets crucified? And so they were walking away dejected. And Jesus walks alongside them and said, hey, fellas, what are you guys talking about? They said, well, where you been? Are you living your life under the rock? I mean, 
you saw what was happening here. I mean, Jesus, we had hope and we were singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We thought our king had finally arrived, but they killed him. I mean, those Romans killed him. Our own priests, our own high priests, they, they, they crucified him. And Jesus, Jesus tells them, let me tell you the story of the Bible. Let me tell you that the Messiah was born to die that he had to suffer for our sins. And so where does Jesus start? Jesus goes back and he starts with Moses, which is the very beginning. He starts with Genesis and he goes through all the prophets. And what does he do? He says, let me show you that it was necessary that the Christ must suffer so that we could live. And he opened up their minds and their minds were blown and their hearts were on fire. They said, are you kidding me? This whole thing pointed to the cross and we missed it. You see, the, the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. The gospel is a biblical story. This is the whole thing. And not only that, it's a rational story. What did Paul do? He walked in and he reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. He wrestled with them. He, he argued with them. He knew that his audience already believed in Torah. They, they already believed in God's word. And now he was going to show them, prove to them that Jesus truly is the Christ. I wonder how he did it. Well, maybe he said in one of those three weeks that he was there, hey, let's, let's roll out Torah. Let's start at the very beginning. Let's start in Genesis and, and let's look at Genesis 3, 15 and, and remember the story. You remember after the fall that there was a promise made and every one of them said, yeah, I remember. The promise was made that a seed would come of the woman, that the woman would have a, a, a child and this child would, would wrestle and, and would ultimately defeat Satan, the serpent. Do you remember, Paul would say, remember how it was foretold in Genesis 3.15 that the serpent would bruise his heel, but that, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head? It's answered. It's in Jesus. You see, that cross is when the serpent was nipping at its heel, but it was actually there that Jesus had the victory. And maybe he said, let's roll out the scroll of Exodus and remember the story of Moses. They said, yeah, of course we remember the story of Moses. I mean, that's when we were slaves and we were set free. And Paul would say, exactly. And do you remember as we were there in Egypt and we were there in bondage for 400 years, how, how God himself got us out? They'd say, yeah, it was the plagues. Let's read them. He said, well, you remember the last plague, the worst plague of all? It was the death of the firstborn son. And how did God preserve us? How did God protect us? And they would say, the Passover lamb. See, I mean, that crazy story. And as we eat the Passover every year, you remember how we are reminded that, that God passed over us by taking a spotless lamb and slaughtering him? And taking the blood of that lamb and, and rubbing him on the doorpost, that blood? And so when death came, it would pass over us. Yeah. He said, I want to tell you about Jesus. He's the true Passover lamb. He is the one that that pointed to. He is the spotless lamb of God. It is Jesus. And it's through his blood that death passes over us. And it's through his blood that, that we have the exodus from sin and slavery. And it's through Jesus that now we can enter the promised land. And I go, man, is that what it would point it to? He said, well, let me take you to more. Let me, let me take you to Isaiah. And he would go and to show and Isaiah, remember the suffering servant. They said, yeah, that was kind of hard to understand. 
We said, well, this is Jesus. He was the one that was promised. It was Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. It's through Jesus, through his wounds, we are healed. It's Jesus. He said, let's let's look at 2 Samuel. You know, what, what did Samuel promise us? Well, he promised us a king in the line of David. He promised one that would sit on the throne of God forever. And he'd say, it's Jesus. This is the one. This is the one who was promised. It's all about him. He has brought the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And we see that in this passage of Scripture that the Bereans were considered noble. Why? Because they heard these words. And and typically a Jew would only hear God's word once a week on the Sabbath in the synagogue. But they were noble. Why were they noble? Because daily, daily they were going to God's word saying, is this true? I mean, is this really this Jesus? This is all being fulfilled. And they would open up God's word and say, what an amazing God we have. What an amazing rescuer in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel is biblical and the gospel is rational but it's more the gospel is jesus well to you and i we know that if you've been around church you've heard that a lot but you got to understand when when paul was going in and he had jews and greeks there and he goes in he goes i want to tell you that the answer is found in jesus they're like whoa 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 because they knew what happened to jesus and they knew the cross of Jesus Christ and they knew how he died. And, and for the Jew, they said, well, this can't be. Jesus is disqualified. I mean, the Messiah doesn't die. The one who's going to come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he doesn't lay his life down, does he? Doesn't he conquer our enemies by slaughtering them all? Are you telling me that Jesus conquers our enemies by himself being slaughtered? Are you telling me that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he didn't come here to just kick Rome out? He came here to kick Satan off the throne by giving us his life? Man, this is so upside down. I thought he was disqualified. And, and the Greeks were like, yeah, we agree with them. It's foolish. The only one who was crucified in those times, there's different ways to execute criminals, but the, the worst of the worst, I mean, the scum of the earth, I mean, cr- crucifixion was awful. And anybody who is crucified, I mean, that is not someone you thought you'd want to follow as your Lord and your Messiah. And so when you say the gospel is all about Jesus, you, you got to know that no one was wearing a cross at that time. No one was like dangling a cross like Diane's beautiful cross I saw when you joined here. That was so offensive to them. And yet the reality is the gospel is Jesus. You see, he did have to suffer. He did have to die. I want to take you to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in the back of your Bible explains more about what Jesus' suffering means for you and me. I'm going to read uh, Hebrews 2, starting in verse 9 and 10. It says this, But we see him who was for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It's just basically saying the spotless Lamb of God was made perfect through suffering. And it goes on to say in verse 18. 
For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And in verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe him by being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is basically saying this. They had no idea that the cross was part of God's story. They had no idea that Messiah had to suffer. He said, Jesus is made perfect by suffering. The perfect one is made perfect because let me tell you, he relates to you. Have you suffered? Have you suffered and had pain? This is basically saying that you have a God who has suffered too. And he, he understands your weakness. He understands your pain. He's able to help us. It, it says this, that he, he learned to sympathize with us through what he suffered. This is such an amazing king, an amazing savior, who is so mighty that he will conquer yours and my greatest enemies. And he's so tender that he sympathizes with you. He can understand you through what he has suffered. Paul did the same thing that Jesus did, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to die and then to be resurrected. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, we have no Christianity. Without the suffering death, we have no sins that are paid for. The only way that we could be adopted in, the only way that we could be made pure, the only way is through that Passover lamb being slaughtered for our sins. The good news he was. We can't have a Christianity without realizing that old rugged cross. Because it was on that old rugged cross that our sins were nailed. It was on that old rugged cross that God's wrath was poured out. It was on that old rugged cross that he took him who knew no sin to be our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Without a death, We're not forgiven. And without a resurrection, we have no hope. You see, the story of the gospel is that Jesus came and lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death that we deserve to die. But there's more to the story. If he wasn't resurrected, it didn't work. Death reigns. If he wasn't resurrected, you and I are still in our sins. We're still separated from God. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Without a resurrection, your faith is futile. My preaching is in vain. Because of the reality of an empty tomb, the wrath of God is appeased. Because of the reality of an empty tomb, the payment was made. Because of the reality of an empty tomb, death has died. Because of the reality of an empty tomb, sinners like us have been brought near. Because of the reality of an empty tomb, we truly are God's beloved in Christ Jesus. The gospel is Jesus and what he has done for us. We'll also see the gospel is unifying and it's polarizing. It's so good to know that this one message of God's rescue in Christ Jesus, this one gospel message is the same for Jew, Gentile, God-fearing those who came to, to embrace Judaism, for males, for females, for slaves, for free. Ephesians 2 says this, That in the gospel, God has made us one. All of us. It's such good news. 
Have you ever traveled and met Christians in another land that look different than you, that talk different than you, that worship different than you? It's a beautiful thing to be reminded that we are truly one in Christ Jesus. It's unifying. Whoever you were cheering for and against yesterday, we come together here as brothers and sisters. And we might tease and rib each other, but the reality is, is we're going to live together as God's children. We are one in him. We truly are family. That's who we are. We've been unified. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But not only is it unifying, it's polarizing. It's, if the gospels really understand, it's going to do one thing. It's going to lead you to faith and repentance, or it's going to lead you to jealousy and, and animosity. And this is what happened. And who, who, uh, who is jealous? It's the non-believing Jews. Paul had the audacity to come in with the answer key and say it's all about Jesus. Take away their authority. Take away their standing and point to Jesus. And they liked it not one bit. And so what do they do? They stirred up the crowd. The rabble. Interesting word there, isn't it? It's basically, if, a little research on that word is those in the marketplace that are useless that aren't there for any other reason. All I can picture is people who just like hang out in the mall and just kind of there for no other reason and going, going. And let's go grab those folks and start a riot. And they did. And you got to understand this too. What they were accused of is, was high treason. What they were accused of was, was awful. Insurrection. What they were accused of was that they were proclaiming another king other than Caesar. And they were. And his name is Jesus. You see, that will polarize us. It will unite us. But it is one gospel for all of us. Lastly, the gospel is costly. It cost Jason. <laughs> what was Jason's crime? He hosted Paul and Silas and Timothy. What was his crime? He embraced what they taught. He opened up his house. And what did it cost him? I don't know what they did to his house. They showed up there. I imagine they ransacked it. They dragged him. It says it literally dragged him into the city uh, to stand before the mob. And they took his money, took his reputation. It cost him. You probably won't be dragged into any cities. I don't think anybody will be taking your money because of your belief in Christ. But I want you to know the gospel demands your life. It demands everything from us. If we are saved by Jesus, if he truly is the King of kings and Lord of lords, if he truly is God's Son, if we've been rescued by Jesus, we should be ruled by Jesus. For those of us who say he is our Savior, we now say come and rule our lives. The gospel is costly, but we got to realize mostly that it was most costly to God. It's costly and it's precious to Jesus. It cost Jesus his very life to rescue you. Did you hear that? It cost Jesus his very life to rescue you and me. He who was rich as God's only begotten son, he who was rich became poor for you and for me so that through his poverty, we could be made rich in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And may each one of our hearts be that like Jason's. And may we open up our homes, our lives, our very hearts to him and say, come in, Lord Jesus, and take that which is rightfully yours. And may I live for you. May this church be like those Bereans who, who will examine Scripture, not just when it's preached on Sunday, but examine Scripture each day, seeing is it true. 
and knowing and loving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because here is our King. The Beatles. They came here with a new genre of music. You may argue it was already here, probably was, but I got to tell you, although I like the Beatles, I love rock. And I'm very, very grateful uh, for the fact that I grew up in a, in a culture, in a, uh, a time period with some of the, what I think is the greatest music in the world, rock and roll. Some of you like country, don't you? We'll pray for you. <laughs> no one here likes rap, do they? I'm just kidding. <laughs> music is a glorious thing, no matter what it is. But maybe the Beatles brought a new genre of music. But let me tell you, Jesus brought a whole new way of relating to God. And he went into that synagogue and he said, you know what, guys, you don't have to be afraid of the Father. And it's not about your godliness, it's about God's godliness. And, and all those sacrifices that were performed in the temple, they only pointed to one. There's a whole new way of relating to God. It's the gospel way. That we now have the privilege of standing before God. Yes, we are sinful, but we are robed in Christ's righteousness. We are forgiven. That we can relate to God no longer as slaves, but we can relate to God as sons. That we can relate to God as heirs. That we can relate to God as beloved children of His in Christ Jesus. And that is the incredible good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything should change because of what Christ has done for you and what he's done for me. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this news. It was so good for the Bereans to hear, so good for those in Thessalonica. And we thank you for those that you have appointed to eternal life that believed. We thank you for the lives that were changed, that they realized that all the promises in the Old Testament pointed to your arrival. Jesus, it pointed to your death it pointed to your resurrection. And we thank you for that reality in our lives. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would open up our hearts and our homes to you like Jason, that we would do that. If there's someone here today that is relating to you through the way of religion and through the way of the gospel, that today would be the day they would see Jesus for who he really is, the, the Passover lamb of God. And today would be the day that they would confess their sins and repent and believe in who you have offered to us as our Savior, specifically Jesus. But may each one of us live now knowing that Jesus really is the King. His kingdom is different. It's the kingdom of heaven, but it's here on earth right now. And he has every right and demands to reign and rule in our lives. And what a gracious and loving reign and rule that is. And God, I pray that each one of us is enlightened with this gospel, and now we can relate to you in a whole new way, in the gospel way, as your beloved sons and daughters. God, we ask your blessing on your tithes and our offerings. Use them to advance your kingdom. We thank you that we could give, knowing that we are already loved, not trying to earn your love. God, bless the giver and the gift, and bless this church for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.